Welcome back, uh, UFC Complete with me, Zach Drapo. This is going to be episode 8. I will be publishing this podcast on September 4th, my first September podcast, and what a month it's going to be. Um, we have so many fights that have been scheduled for September that I've almost missed a couple big ones on the last couple events. Um, so what we're going to do today's podcast... I am here by myself today. Unfortunately, I don't have the company of any of my lovely co-hosts, but I'm sure they will be back for the next coming weeks. Help me uh, liven up the podcast a little bit. Um, So, by myself today, can't wait. I love these shows that I can just speak freely on my mind. Um, And I don't have too many uh, points of debate today, so I, I don't think that I will be just wandering. I think I'll be able to stay pretty crisp and concise on my topics because at least in my opinion, there's not a whole lot of there there's a lot of fights that have been scheduled, but a lot of them a lot of them are kind of predictable, honestly. And uh you know, I'm sure I won't get them all right, but I do believe that I will get most of them right. So let's dive right into it. Um today's September fourth Tomorrow, we have UFC Fight Night 176. Uh, 176 starts at 8 p.m. on Saturday, September 5th. It will be hosted by the Las Vegas UFC Apex Arena. I believe their third show coming back to Las Vegas. And it will be headlined by Alistair Overeem and Augusto Sakai. Um, Big fight here. Uh, It... It's more important than I originally thought, which is crazy because we're just getting over UFC 252, which had some really important heavyweight bouts. Uh, Jairzinho, Rosenstrike, and Stipe Miocic both coming out successful. Uh, Stipe obviously staying where he is as the champion, but Rosenstrike moving up to the fourth contender in the heavyweight division. And then we have this. We have Alistair Overeem versus Augusto Sakai. Now, Alistair Overeem, everybody who's listening to this should be familiar with. Uh, former Pride legend, come to UFC, had to lose the steroids, but even then has still been doing great work in the heavyweight division. I believe only being stopped by Nganu in the last two years, which is to be expected. But Overeem, I believe now is 43 and he will be stepping into the ring with Augusto Sakai. Augusto Sakai is a little bit... He's He's been around for a little bit, but he's definitely on the come-up. Sakai is 15-1-1. One one. I believe he's won his last four fights. I could be wrong there. Let me double-check before I just start spitting nonsense. I said there was going to be few points of contention, and here I am already. Um... Alright, so Sakai's, Sakai's 4-0 in the UFC. On a four-fight win streak, his last fight was against Ivanov, where he had a decision. And so, yeah, he will be going against his toughest opponent by far in Alistair Overeem. Alistair Overeem ranked number 6th in the heavyweight division, and Augusto Sakai ranked number 9th, both uh, benefiting from the recent retirement of Daniel Cormier. And if you hadn't heard, oh, no, I'm wrong. Cormier is still on the rankings. So who went down? 
everybody in the heavyweight division has gone up. So who the hell went down? Huh. That's strange. Even Olenek went up. I'm going to have to look into that. Who just beat Olenek? Derek Lewis. That's who just beat Olenek. Anyway, uh, Overeem number six, Sakai number nine. That will headline UFC one seventy six, UFC Fight Night one seventy six. Uh, that should be a very, very interesting fight. I expect a knockout. Um, and if it's not a knockout, I see Sakai winning because Overeem is either going to end the fight or he's going to get gassed out. I'm not sure how great Sakai is on the ground, but Overeem, it's definitely not his specialty. He's no slouch either. Uh, if Sakai can maintain a very good uh, wrestling match with Overeem, I do believe that Sakai will benefit and probably come out on top. But that's probably Overeem. Overeem is still, he's old, yes, but he's still a motherfucker in that division. Um, some of the most brutal knockout power we've ever seen in any uh, MMA organization. And so... I would have, and I've been doing this for the last couple weeks, I've been picking the veteran, and they haven't been working out for me. So, it's very likely that I'm wrong, but I, I'm going to stay with my prediction, I'm going to go with Overeem, uh, I would say a knockout in the second round, if I'm being ballsy. Um, in the same in the same fight night, we have a co-main event, light heavyweight bout between Ovin St. Pru and Alonzo Minefield. This fight was originally scheduled for UFC Fight Night 175. However, I believe I believe it was St. Prue that got tested positive for COVID-19. So it, it, I guess he's good now. I guess he's healthy now and they will be fighting apparently at UFC Fight Night 176. Um... I don't have too much to say about this one. Alonzo Minefield's also on the come up. He's 9-1, suffering his only loss in his previous bout. Uh, Ovin St. Pru is the best competitor he's ever fought, but that's just sticking with the pattern of young guys being able to beat the veterans as of late, besides a few exceptions. Uh, St. Pru, ever since making his return to the UFC, I want to say two years ago, he's been doing very well. He's been submitting people with a unique chokehold. That he's not invented, but he has brought back into the into the spotlight. So I think that Ovin St. Pru will have the advantage here. He's had so much more fights. He's fought against a lot better people. Don't forget, Ovin St. Pru went five rounds with John Jones once upon a time. Uh, that was probably like four years ago. But um, really quick, let me look at the age. So St. Pru's thirty-seven. Minefield's. 32 and St. Pru does have a four inch reach advantage. While I'm at it, Overeem has a three inch reach advantage over Sakai. So both of those significant, but not too significant to the fact that I would drastically change my look on the fight. So uh, I've been doing this lately and it, I have not been right for the last couple pay, uh, events. So, but I'm going to take the veterans, Overeem and St. Pru, and I, I think they should win. I think they should win. Oh, my God, I'm not totally sure. But, yeah, if I was going to pick, I would be picking Overeem and Sky.
Alright, on to the next one. Uh, next week's fight night, we do not have too many bouts scheduled, but we do have a strawweight fight between Angela Hill and Michelle Watterson. Uh, Michelle Watterson has been in the UFC almost since the debut of the strawweight division back in around 2011. Definitely no slouch. Uh, she's a veteran of it, but she will be facing Angela Hill, who has just recently made it to the top 15 of the women's strawweight division and is um, quite possibly has some of the best stand-up outside of the top five of that division. Angela Hill is clinical. That is the best way to describe her. She's very, very clinical, and it should be a big test for Watterson. Uh, right now, Watterson ranked 8, Angela Hill ranked 13. I do not, if I were to venture a guess, I would say that Angela Hill will probably win. She will probably have an upset victory, but that fight is still too close to call, and I'm not going to make a prediction because I'm not, uh, the fight's still a week away, so I got time. So I'm going to wait, and if you want to know who I'm going to pick in that next fight, definitely tune in next week to hear about it. All right. After that, we have the big, the first big fight of September. Besides Overeem and Sakai. But this, we have Colby Covington fighting for the first time in over a year. And he will be fighting the former welterweight champion, Tyron Woodley. We've talked about this a little bit on the podcast. Uh, mostly because as soon as it got scheduled, me and another one of my buddies are so excited for it. Um, I Now, for those of you who do listen to the podcast, I usually do... The UFC podcast with a couple friends, one of them being my friend Dylan. Dylan, who is, who knows almost as much about UFC as I do and has been watching it for all, just about as long as I have. Um, definitely, I would say of my close-knit group that I do these podcasts with, I would say I have the most confidence in his opinion on the UFC of any of my friends. Not knocking any of them, but he just, he knows a shit. He's been watching a lot, and he knows um, a lot about different stances and who's on the up and up, who's on the come down. He knows when to look at a fight and say it's dumb, this and that. And so the last time me and Dylan had a big disagreement on who was going to win the fight was Darren Till and Robert Whitaker. And I'm happy to say that I won that because I had Whitaker, he had Till. And it's no different for this fight, as I believe Colby Covington will win, and Dylan believes Woodley will win. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get into this fight a little bit. I'm not gonna talk about it too too much because I really would like to have a more deep discussion with him or with Austin or both. And so definitely look out for that next week. Um, I believe that these two are two of the top three welterweights in the world when it comes to wrestling. I believe that Colby Covington, Tyron Woodley, both, they may even be better than Usman. But that's a debate for another time. Um, and so I believe that they're matched in wrestling. I don't believe either of them has a huge advantage. If there is an advantage, I may give it to Woodley a little bit. Woodley just seems a bit stronger than Covington. Um... But Colby's definitely better on the feet, and he's more exciting, and he seems to be tougher. You know, Colby Covington, we haven't seen him since last year because in his championship fight against Kamaru Usman, he got his jaw broken in the third round, 
at the very end of the third round and then still fought for a round and a half while winning the fourth round with a broken jaw. And then he eventually got finished by Usman, uh, which is totally deserved. Usman is a king of that division. But Covington looked outstanding in that fight. You know, he didn't get the job done, but he went against the best. And he lost in the last minute in a questionable stoppage. It probably should have been stopped, but it, it was definitely questionable. Covington was upset about it right away. Um, but he did have a broken jaw. He got hit a couple times. So I do believe that Colby has something to prove. You know, he wants to he wants to finish Woodley. And Woodley just lost to Gilbert Burns a couple months ago. Before that, Woodley lost, I believe, before the Burns fight. His last fight was Usman. And Usman completely destroyed Woodley. Covington did so much better against Woodley. Uh, Covington did so much better against Usman than Woodley did. So that's another reason I believe Covington will win. And... I, I don't know, like, if you look at the age, Woodley is six years older. Woodley does have a two-inch reach advantage. I, I believe that Woodley's time is about up, and Covington is still in his prime. So, I, I see Colby Covington winning that, and I probably see a third or fourth round stoppage, seeing that this fight goes five rounds, which I believe it will. Uh, so, that... Those are the big fights heading into UFC 253, the next pay-per-view. UFC 253. Oh my god, such a good card. Such a good card. UFC 253 is headlined by the first fight between undefeated uh, fighters in a title fight in years. I can't remember who the last one was. I, th I thought it might have been Khabib, but that wouldn't make sense. But anyway, uh, Israel Adesanya and Paulo Costa, both undefeated, both middleweight titans. And what's crazy about it is they're polar opposites of each other. So, on paper, you have Israel Adesanya, 6'3", 31 years old, 80-inch reach advantage. Then you got Paulo Costa who is 6'1", 29 years old, two years younger than the champ, with an 8-inch reach disadvantage. Uh, I, me and Austin both very much like to watch for our reach differentials. 8-inch reach advantage is very significant. Is it impossible to overcome? Absolutely not. We saw Daniel Cormier beat Stipe Miocic with a half-inch reach disadvantage more than Paulo Costa has. That being said, for someone like Daniel Cormier and like Paulo Costa, who like to walk forward and walk down their opponent to try to be aggressive and get in those quick punches, I I don't see... I Let me say this. Adesanya, in my opinion, has the best stand-up game of anyone in the UFC. You know, you got guys like Connor, you got guys like TJ Dillashaw, obviously John Jones, uh, Stipe, but Adesanya to me has the best offensive stand-up game in the UFC, and it's almost not even close. 
he might be the best kickboxer in the UFC. And his punches might be better than his kicks. He's so quick, clinical. He is. It's all about technique for him. He's been doing it since such a young age. Um, really has barely been tested in the UFC by some great fighters. Killed Brunson. Killed Anderson Silva. Killed Robert Whitaker. Killed Yoel Romero. His only test was against Kelvin Gastelum, and he finished him too. So... Paulo Costa, the big contender, huge guy that's coming for the crown. I get it. You know, it's a great story. Um, it it It's a little scary, but to me, the only way Paulo Costa wins is, is while he's getting his ass kicked by Adesanya, he throws a, a magical haymaker that lands on Adesanya, and Adesanya just can't come back from it. You know, I don't see... There's no chance that it is a domination, you know. There's there it will not be a, the kind of a fight where Costa just coasts his way to victory all five rounds or even beating Adesanya in more than two rounds. You know, I see Adesanya winning just about every round unless Costa can hurt him with one significant punch. I. I've said this since the beginning. I'm not going to waver from Adesanya. Uh, he, he's, he's the man. He is the man. He is the man just like John Jones is the man, just like Anderson Silva used to be the man. You know, he is, until someone beats him, he's unbeatable. That, that's just kind of what you got to do. You could give arguments about how Adesanya... Um, didn't fare come very well against Yoel Romero. I would dispute that claim. I would say that Romero was more hesitant to walk down Adesanya than the other way around. Adesanya did eat some shots from Romero. Yep. Uh, he took those shots very well, and he kept his distance like he should, like he will against Costa. Listen, an 8-inch reach advantage is an 8-inch reach advantage, all right? Adesanya, who's already one of the most slippery guys in the UFC, never gets taken down, is going to stay away from Paulo Costa. Um, 8-inch reach advantage, yes, but the leg, the leg reach advantage is something that never gets put on the tail of the tape, and it's something you don't see. Adesanya's legs are so much longer than Costa's. Adesanya might have... He might be standing a full foot away from Costa and still kick him in the face. So, I mean, barring a crazy shot that lands to Adesanya, I don't see any chance of Paulo Costa. It's not knocking him at all. I believe that he's really good. I believe that he's more than really good. I think he's the best person that Adesanya will face so far. And hopefully he walks down Adesanya and it'll be the best fight Adesanya's ever had. You know, Romero was supposed to have that distinguish. Um, he's supposed to have that distinction, but Romero just fought like a pussy and he just didn't challenge Adesanya because he didn't want to get knocked out. And I can almost guarantee that Costa won't do that. I think that Costa will charge Adesanya even though he knows he could be knocked out which will make for a great, entertaining fight. One that I cannot wait for. But I got Adesanya all the way. Sticking to it. Um, Dominic Reyes, Jan Blackowicz 
is in the co-main event for the currently vacant light heavyweight title. I will also be saving my thoughts on that. Actually, me and Dylan talked about that last week. And me and Austin did. So, I can kind of give my thoughts. I don't like spoiling these matches too many weeks in advance. Because we've already talked about it twice. And it's still three weeks away, four weeks away. So, I don't want to get into it too much. I will say that I give Reyes the nod in this one. Because he's just an all-around fighter who has the momentum of barely losing to John Jones last December, and that was his only MMA loss ever. So I think that he's going to come in with everything to prove because he believes he's the best. He believes that he beat John Jones. He believes that Jan Blackwich is nothing to him. So I think that Reyes will come in and prove himself that day. I think Blackwich will put up a fight, but I think ultimately it'll be for nothing. Does it go all five rounds? Probably. Probably. I think I think it does go all five rounds. Um, Blackowicz is more likely to knock out Reyes than Reyes is Blackowicz. I will say that. But with the amount of shots that Reyes ate from John Jones, I don't think that Blackowicz knocks him out unless he has some crazy spinning head kick, heel kick to the side of his head, something like that. Also on the UFC 253, we have Claudia Gadella versus Jan Janin. Uh, big strawweight fight. I believe that is four and eight, respectively. So that will be huge. And we have one of my favorite. Um, f- I'm missing the name. Ultimate Fighter winners. Diego the Nightmare Sanchez is coming back to UFC fighting Jake Matthews of all people, and that that'll just be a nostalgia fight. I think that Jake Matthews will win. But I love to see Diego Sanchez in the in the ring. How old is he now? Diego Sanchez is 38. Jake Matthews, 26. Uh, I hope he doesn't get killed. I hope he doesn't just come back to get killed. That would be upsetting. It's like Anderson Silva coming back, which, by the way, is a spoiler. Um, but that will be really cool to watch. Diego Sanchez will be fighting in his 44th professional MMA fight. Props to him for it. Can't wait for it. Hope he's, you know, hope he's ready. Jake Matthews is a beast. And besides that, there isn't too many other names. We have Hakeem Dewoda versus Zubaira Tukagov. Excuse me, Tukagov, who I believe are both in the top 15 of the featherweight division. Uh, I'd be wrong. I am wrong. But that's okay. Wow, Edson Barboza is still up here for the featherweight? Good for him. Um, Hakeem Dewota is 11-1, and one, though. So if he wins, he will probably skyrocket onto the top 15. Being that the featherweight, there aren't too, too many... Yeah, I would say that the featherweight 10 to 15 is very soft as far as top 15s go. You got Dan Ige, Sadiq Youssef, Ryan Hall, Shane Burgos, Jose Aldo, who is now bantamweight, and Edson Barboza, who hasn't fought in a long time. So that is, uh, yeah, if DeWota could win, he could definitely make his way into the top 15. And while we're speaking on featherweights... 
What I'm going to do now, because I brought you all of the big fights from now until September 26th, which is the date of UFC 253, I will be talking to you about the scheduled fights for um, November and October. The featherweight division is definitely going to be on, is definitely going to be highlighted in these two months. Not only do you have a number one contendership for the featherweight title, where Brian Ortega finally gets to fight the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung, uh, you'll see that fight in UFC Fight Night 180, which is October 17th. That will be a very great fight. Ortega only lost to Max Holloway. He did get dominated by Max Holloway in one of the most um, one-sided fights that you'll ever see in the UFC. But he's still a top three contender in that division. Make no mistake about it. And he will be fighting the Korean Zombie, who ever since coming back to the UFC, he took, I want to say, four years off, came back in 2017, hasn't lost. You know, he is... Fought some great people. He knocked out Frankie Edgar in the first round, which not a lot of people could say. And these two have been talking shit for their couple weeks, really, through quarantine. So when they finally get their hands on each other, I think anything could happen. I really, I don't have a horse in this fight. I, I, like, Orte I like Ortega's game more than the Zombies, but I think the Korean Zombies more unpredictable and definitely is more likely to stop Ortega. Um, so that fight's super exciting. And then we have an actual featherweight championship that is only being discussed up to this point, but is being discussed to headline UFC 257, which will be either December or January. And that is between Alexander Volkanovsky and Zabit Magomed Sharapov. Uh, first initial reaction is that there's no way they can fit both those last names on the headliner. You know, it's the longest it's, it's the longest headliner UFC will ever do. I don't even know if... I, I think they'll either do nicknames or first names because Volkanovsky versus Magomed Sharapov. Let me... I want to I see how many characters that actually is. As a total, that is a 30-character headliner. <laughs> but... <laughs> um, so... I, look out for... that. That's definitely going to be, like, Alex versus Beat Or, like, Volkanovski versus Sabit, I would guess. That fight's very interesting because, for those of you who don't know, Zabit Magomed Sharapov is the next Khabib Nurmagomedov. Both train in Dagestan, Russia. Um, I believe, I believe both are part of the American Kickboxing Allegiance, which is one of the best UFC gyms anywhere in the world. Um, and... Zabit is undefeated in the featherweight division. He's a striker who can wrestle, whereas Khabib is a wrestler who can strike. So he's definitely more adept on the ground. Uh, same with Volkanovski. I believe that Volkanovski will win that fight because Volkanovski had two wars with Holloway. And whether you want to say that he should have, that he could have lost both, 
I would agree with that, that he could have lost both and that he probably should have lost the second one. But Max Holloway is of a such great caliber that Zabit, who has a very similar mold to Max Holloway, they're both tall and skinny, probably will not match up with Volkanovski. If Volkanovski can stand toe-to-toe with Holloway, he should be able to beat Zabit. But that fight will be very interesting to watch. Um, and I'm a little I'm a little curious as to why they didn't just wait. I guess Volkanovski wanted to fight again, but realistically, he should be waiting to fight Ortega or Jung. Whether that's next January or what, that should be the next fight. But we're going to get Zabit versus Volkanovski. Uh, you know, can't complain about it. Cannot complain. That's going to be a very entertaining fight. Uh, we only got a couple more matches to go through. I'm going to kind of get them out of there quick. We have Uriah Hall versus Anderson Silva, which has been targeted for UFC 256, but I I don't believe anything has been discussed. Um, one other... Actually, I'll finish this. So, while this hasn't been signed yet, it has been discussed and widely believed to be true that this will be Anderson Silva's last fight. Anderson Silva, for those of you who may just be new to the UFC scene... In my opinion, so let me preface this. When you're having the GOAT conversation, there's a lot of different ways you can attribute that. One, you can say who's had the overall best career, who has had the most title defenses, who has had the most wins, uh, who's had the most wins of a higher caliber opponent. And if you're going to go by career, If you're going to go by career, it's either John Jones or George St. Pierre. Both of them have not, well, both of them have, actually, no, because Jones, neither of them have lost since 20, 2009, I believe, and John Jones has never lost. So that's something to be noticed, acknowledged. But if you want to talk about goats in the sense that I normally think of in any sport, football, baseball, basketball, UFC, doesn't matter. I like to look at who had the best prime of their careers. And to me, it's not even up for a debate. You could say that John Jones had the best prime, but then again, during his prime, he got a lot of drug violations and a couple other problems. But Anderson Silva... Anderson Silva won 17 UFC fights in a row, and I believe 10 to 13 of them were for the title, in a division that was not by any means lackluster. From 2008 to like 2015, Anderson Silva was the baddest man on the planet. Skinny Brazilian dude that liked to taunt you in the ring, and no one could touch this man. He went up to light heavyweight, still fucked up Forrest Griffin. Fucked him up. He has wins over Rich Franklin. He has wins over Vitor Belfort. He has wins over Mark Munoz, Damian Maya. All these middleweight contenders that you want to throw out there, he's beaten them. He knocked out Chris Lieben in his first ever UFC fight. He knocked out Rich Franklin in his second fight to win the title. And then did it again in his next fight. You know, tragically, he got too cocky, lost to Chris Weidman, then broke his leg after that, and then it's been a series of disappointments and losses after that. Tragic to see, uh, up to his fight with Adesanya, 
where he was just beaten to a pulp and it was very sad. Uh, and he will be 43 years old fighting Uriah Hall at the end of this year, sometime by the end of this year, and it will be his last fight ever. Two things I want to say. One, if Anderson Silva wins, it will almost make me cry because I'll be so happy to see him go out on good terms. Two, if he loses, I might cry too because that will be so sad to see. And if he gets knocked out by Uriah Hall, I... It'll be exciting because Uriah Hall hasn't had a very big knockout and he deserves one because he's a very flashy, very entertaining fighter. And it really all is going to depend on what Uriah Hall wants to do. Because I truly believe if Uriah Hall wanted to work his ass off for a month, two months, whatever it takes to get to the fight, Uriah Hall would beat the shit out of Anderson Silva and knock him out with a spitting head kick. I truly believe that. But I don't know if he will. And I think from Anderson Silva's perspective, he would rather Uriah Hall train as hard as he can and try to knock him out. But put yourself in Uriah Hall's shoes. You know, do you want to be the guy that... I mean, either way, you're going to be the guy that ends the career of Anderson Silva. So would, wouldn't you rather try to beat him three rounds to a finish and not knock him out and not risk the legend any more brain damage than he probably already has i would then again i'm not a professional fighter and i don't have the ruthlessness that comes with the job description so it'll be very interesting to see how that fight ends um anderson silva is my favorite ufc fighter of all time and it i will that will be a very emotional fight for me uh i hope anderson silva wins because that would be great to see. But then again, I would also not be mad if Uriah Hall wins. Because Uriah Hall should win. And if he doesn't win, it will most likely seem like he's throwing the match to give Silva the win. Which you don't want to see. No matter how much joy it would bring people, you never want to see someone throw a fight. It's just... Um, what's the right word? It's disrespectful. Not only to the great Anderson Silva, but to the sport you compete for. And I'm sure Dana White would look at it the same way. Uh, the last fight we're going to mention, also probably scheduled for UFC 256, is Jorge Masvidal versus Nate Diaz. Two. So the first time we saw that fight, we saw a back-and-forth fight in the first two rounds and unfortunately got a doctor stoppage in the third round. Uh, we did not want to see that. Masvidal was winning anyway, and he was given the win, so that wasn't terrible. Unfortunately, that came in a time where Nate Diaz had a lot of hype, and so we haven't seen him since then. Um, we haven't seen Nate Diaz since The Rock put the BMF title around Jorge Masvidal's waist. So this could be a great chance for retribution. Nate Diaz is one of my favorites. I... I definitely enjoy watching Nate Diaz fight more than Masvidal. I believe Masvidal is overrated. Uh, great fighter still. Probably better than Nate Diaz, but I do believe he's overrated. So it would be great to see Nate Diaz, see if he can... Uh, Nate Diaz has way more to prove in this fight than Masvidal. You know, Masvidal just was given a huge amount of credit for going five rounds with Usman on 6-8 notice. So no one's questioning how great Masvidal is, I, I guess besides me. But... 
Um, everyone's questioning if Nate Diaz still has it. You know, we haven't seen him fight in about two years. Um, people could say the same thing that Nate Diaz is overrated because his career is really highlighted by his one win against Connor. And sure, he's had other wins. Um, but, you know, you mix the fact that he lost to Masvidal. He's only famous because he's trying to get the McGregor trilogy. And he only got in the UFC because his brother was a badass. Nate Diaz definitely has more to prove than Masvidal. And I think that it'll be a great fight. Masvidal will probably win. But I would definitely be rooting for Nate Diaz. And now that I'm looking at it, I was wrong. We have one more fight to talk about. And it is probably the biggest fight of any of these uh, potential fights that are upcoming. UFC 254, which is headlined by Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Justin Gaethje. Co-main event is potentially Dustin Poirier versus Tony Ferguson. Um, that's the fight, ladies and gentlemen. That is the fight. I might be more excited for that fight than I am Khabib versus Gaethje. Because Khabib's probably going to win and we all know it. But Poirier Ferguson is really... I mean, Gaethje's the interim champ, and he beat Ferguson, but <sighs> that fight is so strange to me, so strange, because that was the beginning of all of this COVID stuff, and who knows what the guys were trading for, and Gaethje, Gaethje definitely handled it better than Ferguson did by the outcome, but like, I, I watched that fight, and Gaethje outclassed. Tony Ferguson, not by a little, by a lot. It wasn't close, and it was the right stoppage, and Ferguson was a bloody mess, and he looked like he had no idea how to handle Gaethje. That being said, I still might think that Ferguson is a better fighter than Gaethje. I believe that it was more of circumstance, and I believe in another day, Ferguson would beat Gaethje. Could I be wrong? Probably. I could definitely, I definitely could be wrong, but I probably am wrong. So this fight, Ferguson Poirier, really tells me who is the second best fighter, second or third best fighter in the lightweight division, which is like top three most competitive divisions in the UFC. Much more competitive than featherweight. Um, I believe really only welterweight and probably, probably bantamweight. Um... Welterweight's the most competitive. Bantamweight and lightweight are probably tied for second. You know, we haven't seen Fer We've only seen Ferguson fight Gaethje in the last, like, two years. And Poirier has lost to Nurmagomedov and then beaten Dan Hooker in the last two years. So we haven't seen a great amount of fights from either of these guys. We know the background of both of these guys. They're going to be coming for their... They both want another title shot. And especially with the fact that Khabib has said that he's only going to fight one more time... After Gaethje. Uh, this will probably... Unless Khabib fights GSP. Which I definitely can't get into. Because this will turn into a two hour podcast. Unless Khabib fights GSP. Khabib will probably... So... Seeing that he retains. First of all. Which we all know he will. Khabib will be fighting the winner of Ferguson Poirier. And I think... Right now, I will go on record saying Ferguson will win. Maybe it sets up a Gaethje-Ferguson rematch. Maybe we finally see Ferguson-Khabib. 
the rest of this year, folks. I hope you're all ready for it, because I sure as shit am. We thought September was going to be crazy. We don't even know how crazy October and November are going to be. All we know is that we are going to see champions fight, and we are going to see championship-level fighters fight to fight the champion. And I guess we're going to see who wants it more. You know, that's that's really what Corona has showed us. Like, who wants it more? Who's willing to put in the work? Uh, speaking of putting in the work, I'm about to punch out. Thank you, everybody, for listening, everybody who tuned in. I appreciate it. Make sure you check out UFC Fight Night 176, which will be happening tomorrow, Saturday, November 5th, starting at 8 o'clock. Uh, next week, eh, excuse me, next week, we have another fight night, and then the week after that, we have Covington Woodley. So make sure you tune in next week to hear my predictions. Uh, hopefully, I have a couple of my friends with me. We can get into more depth. Uh, we can get more in depth into some matchups. And just stay tuned. Just definitely keep listening because the content's only going to get better. I've talked about live streaming. That should be happening soon, if not next week. Um, it's going to be a blast. It's going to be a blast. I know I'm already having a blast making all these podcasts. It's only going to get more fun and more interesting. So uh, thank you, everybody, again. And I will catch you next week. Later. Hell yeah. <laughs>